Willow Park is looking at uh, Ten Commandments. We are not necessarily all in sync. I thought we were last weekend, but I was definitely out of sync. And, uh, but I think we are, if I understand correctly, we are probably in sync with the South Campus, but slightly ahead of Highway 33. Not that it matters. It's not a race. But we may at some point back up and um, fill in, I think, commandment number two, which we'll likely listen to fill on video. Uh, but this morning, I want to talk a little bit about commandment number four, about remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. The purpose of the Ten Commandments, I think, from the beginning was God's desire to set apart a nation, to set apart a people whose lives would show forth the glory of God, of the one true and living God. And more than a list of rules or expectations, the Ten Commandments described a way of life. The Ten Commandments described a way of living. And they shaped Israel's understanding of their unique relationship to God. And they defined their relationship with one another. So you can say Israel truly was a nation set apart to show forth the glory of God. And I believe that even today as a church, as individuals, we have the same calling. That we are set apart as a church, we're set apart as individuals, and our calling is to show forth the glory of God. Laws tend to have what I will call a literal interpretation. You might say the letter of the law. And laws also have an intentional interpretation, which I might refer to the spirit of the law. It's possible to adhere to the letter of the law and circumvent the spirit or the intent uh, in our society at times people may hire accountants and lawyers to help them in that process it's not a comment against lawyers and accountants we might call it the search for loopholes that we can kind of honor the letter of the law but sort of circumvent its intent in the context of the fourth commandment it's possible to set apart or set aside the Sabbath or a day and yet lose the reason why God set it apart in the first place. You might ask, well, do the Ten Commandments still stand as a theological statement and a moral code for God's people? I would say they do. They provide, I think, both a vertical perspective and a horizontal perspective for our lives. And the first three commandments all focus on God himself. The last six tend to focus on how we are to live with one another. And stuck close to the middle is this commandment. And it's about a day. 
but I don't believe it's actually necessarily about a day. It's interesting that it's one of two commandments that is framed in positive language. Most of the commandments are, do not, thou shalt not. This one simply says, remember the Sabbath. Some translations say, by keeping it holy. There's also a commandment that says, honor thy father and, the mo- and your mother. Both of those uh, seem to be phrased in positive language. And I was thinking this week about what if we took the other eight, what would they sound like if they were actually expressed positively instead of do not, thou shalt not, what would that look like? I want to say that it could be argued that this rhythm of life that God sets out in the fourth commandment, it's about six days on, one day off, was actually a precedent set by God at creation. It was set there by God long before it was set in stone. Exodus 20, verse 8 to about verse 11, I think simply codified what God had always intended. Exodus 20, verse 8, about to verse 11, and this is a bit of a paraphrase, so if you're following in your Bible, it might sound a bit different. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shall you do all your work, And on the seventh, you shall rest. You. Generally, sometimes when I think about the Ten Commandments, that's sort of the part that I remember. I don't necessarily always remember this part. It says, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your cattle. So if you're using your animals to do physical labor for you, you need to give your animals a rest. Or your sojourner who stays with you, we might say nowadays, perhaps the foreign worker who works for you, that even as God rested on the seventh day, so too should you. So by and large, Israel shut down on the Sabbath. It was built into the very fabric of their nation. That the seventh day, if you were traveling through that, would have looked much different than the other six. The letter part of the law about keeping the Sabbath, I would say probably Israel did quite well. That truly that day was different. But if you look through the Old Testament, often they struggled with the last half of that commandment, which says, by keeping it holy. You might say they lost the spirit or the intent of that commandment. Old Testament prophets spoke to this reality, and it's amazing to me how strongly the prophets spoke into the lives of, of the people. They didn't mince words. In Isaiah 1 verse 13, it says, Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. 
As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. A New Testament parallel would be that of the religious leaders themselves. Generally, we call them the Pharisees. You might say that the Pharisees actually kept this law to a fault. They adhered not only to the letter of the law, but they also had added about 1,500 other regulations, other technicalities about what that day should look like. And they used those to judge the actions of others. Jesus referred to the religious teachers, the Pharisees, as whitewashed walls. He says in Matthew, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Yet the Pharisees would have been absolutely convinced that they actually kept the Sabbath. And I would say that they kept the letter of the law and missed the spirit of the law. In the end, they had greater regard for the day itself and its rules than they did for God for whom the day was to be set apart. At times, the church has attempted, I think, to somehow redefine the Sabbath because we generally don't meet or we don't honor the Sabbath in a literal way by transferring some of what you might expect for the real Sabbath, just transferring that to Sunday. And it's interesting that up until 1985, the Lord's Day Act in Canada, I think it was an act passed about 1906, actually shaped our entire country's perspective on Sunday. That in our country, for people who were of faith or not necessarily of faith, Sunday was different from the other six. And someone said, we became cosmetically Christian. I kind of like that phrase. So you might say that even with our, in our country, setting apart a day used to be far easier than it is now because in general, society treated it differently. Stores were closed. Certain kinds of recreation were not permitted. Um, life was different. I remember growing up in that time. I remember debates in our church and sometimes maybe around our table at home about which activities were okay on Sunday and which ones weren't. And I would say that while this might have had the ring of righteousness to it, defining exactly what Sunday should look like can quickly sound similar to the Pharisees' desire to define and control the Sabbath. And I want to say that strict Sabbath rules or strict Sunday rules 
inevitably develop a legalistic odor. We tend then to adhere to the rules we have put into place, and I say that we have put into place, not God, and we judge those who don't. And we too, at times I think as a church, have missed the intent of the Sabbath. Pharisees constantly judged Jesus about what he did on the Sabbath. It drove them to distraction. Some suggest that Jesus abolished the Sabbath. I I don't believe that is true. He did not keep the Sabbath according to the Pharisees' standard. But Jesus, no doubt, throughout his life would have honored the literal Sabbath. He would have put down his carpentry tools and rested from his labors. He would have spent time at the synagogue. Yet he did say in his ministry that the Sabbath did not control him, but that he was Lord of the Sabbath. So he healed, he taught, cast out demons, and on at least one occasion, he and his disciples picked grain in order that they might eat. The Pharisees were all over that. But I want to say that Jesus did all of those things without in any way compromising the intent of the fourth commandment. And I want to say this commandment is not meant to put constraints on us. This commandment is there to benefit us. And in that context, there's freedom. Sabbath tension would have existed in the early church. Many of the first converts would have been Jews, Jewish people. And even after their conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they may have maintained a fairly strict Sabbath tradition. But as other people, other nations also began to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jewish Christians struggled with the fact that these new converts, these new believers, didn't necessarily observe the Sabbath. In fact, some probably did not observe it at all. The early church we read in the New Testament began to meet on the first day of the week, Sunday. It was a way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a way to celebrate the freedom in Christ. And Paul, within the church, saw the danger, I think, that what God had given to benefit his people, which I believe is the intent of the Sabbath, had the potential to cause division and dissension. Legalism which in essence is about following rules, most of them made by man, always leads to a judgmental spirit. And so Paul, when he addresses this issue within the church, I find it amazing what he does is he emphasizes our freedom in Christ. Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17 
So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. If I was to circle anything in that passage, it's those words. Christ himself is that reality. That is what the Sabbath is to focus on. He says, you have died with Christ, and he has set you free from spiritual powers of this world, so why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. The next line is amazing. These rules may seem wise, Because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. And I think Colossians 3 verse 1 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. When our faith becomes expressed in rules, we have exchanged the freedom that we are meant to have in Christ with a form of man-made religion. Paul warns against it. In the early 70s, uh, there was uh, a great song. I shouldn't refer to the early 70s because I immediately leave out half of the audience, but... There was a song, and I remember it well. I think it was by the five-man electrical band, which was a Canadian band, and it was called Signs. And the chorus was something like, sign, sign, everywhere a sign, blocking out the scenery, messing my mind. Do this, don't do that, can't you read the signs? Paul, I believe, says that that's a potential danger with our understanding of who we are in Christ. If the day is not critical, let's say we couldn't meet here on a Sunday or a Saturday. Let's say we met at Creekside on Wednesday. Most of us would say, you know what? If we can make it, we'll still be there. If the day is not critical, how do we honor the intent of this commandment? And I think it's a great question. We need to embrace, I think, the truth that the Sabbath, this day, is intended to free us, not confine us or control us. This commandment is about R&R. Our culture likes that concept, rest and relaxation. For some, it might be rest and recreation. And it's interesting, I think, that sort of the two-day weekend, which some of us can relate to and others, depending on your work, you say, well, that doesn't apply to me, Doug. But many people enjoy a two-day weekend. And it's interesting that it has its roots in spiritual conviction, 
the literal Sabbath from sundown Friday to darkness on Saturday reflects the Jewish tradition of keeping the actual literal Sabbath. Sunday became set aside by the early church to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and by about 321 AD, that day became entrenched in society. So it's interesting that those two days actually have spiritual historic roots. From a Christian perspective, I think the third commandment is also about R&R. God says we are commanded to rest from our labors, and I want to say in a down-to-earth practical way. I think God is saying to us, you need time to recuperate. We need to break physically often, and I can almost guarantee you that we need it mentally. We need it for our physical health. We need it for our mental health. And the notion of rest within the concept of a busy life is God-ordained, and it is for our good. This commandment accepts that life is, or even should be, characterized by meaningful labor. And while that looks different in the different changing seasons of life, the Bible extols the virtue of work. Idleness, ease, and comfort is not a biblical lifestyle. And I think both extremes kind of exist in our culture. For some, the goal is to work as little as possible and embrace ease and comfort whenever possible. Not biblical. For others, life ends up being consumed by work and the accompanying stress of balancing what work life and family life should look like. Sometimes it's weighing opportunities to create new revenue streams with perhaps the option of simplifying life and reconsidering priorities. And I think these conversations take place in most of our homes, and well, they should. I remember when Steve spoke uh, several months ago, he re to this drive that people have, you might say, to make hay while the sun shines. That some people truly can't really enjoy their time off because they're worried about the work that they're missing and the money that it could, they could gain. I think God referred to this human tendency, and I should have written down the passage, but I didn't. He reminded the nation of Israel in the Old Testament that even during planting season, I know it's an agricultural uh, analogy, but he says even in planting season and in harvesting season, both of which are times where you might say, you know what, it might pay off if I actually worked Sunday because we're right in the middle of harvest or we're right in the middle of planting. God says even in those times, observe the Sabbath. I think it's because you can miss the abundant life that I believe is meant to be ours in Christ because at times we are so um, focused on creating a prosperous life and the Bible would say the two are different. I believe it's why we need the Sabbath. It's about 
resetting our sights, and it's about regaining our focus. And God says you need rest. To ignore that comes with a great cost. And I would say a far greater cost than the financial gain that might have been made. The Sabbath is about reviving ourselves spiritually. It's about reviving ourselves physically. God says you need to rest from your labors. You need to take a deep breath. I would say we need it for our own health. We need it for the health of our families. But the third commandment is, as much as it is about rest itself, the rest is meant to turn our attention to God himself. I think it's about what we've been doing so far this Sunday morning. Turning our attention to God himself. Work tends to have a way of filling our minds with concerns that, while important, are also, Paul would say, earthly in nature, temporary in nature, all of that's going to pass away. And we do operate with a kind of dual citizenship, one that is earthly, it's not going to last, one that is eternal. And I believe this commandment is a reminder that the eternal is meant to keep the temporal in proper perspective. I really believe that that's why we gather, regardless of the day of week. It's a reminder to focus that our citizenship ultimately is in heaven. It's meant to help us keep our bearings straight. And I think somehow we, as people, need to figure out ways to do that. To capture what it means to rest and to remember and celebrate who we are in Christ. Who we are as citizens of heaven. To recall and celebrate the greatness of our God and the reality of Christ in our life. You might say, Doug, how do you keep the spirit of the Sabbath when you're working up north? When you're working three weeks on and one off? How do you keep the Sabbath when you are raising two, three, or four children on your own while your husband is up north? How do you keep the intent of the Sabbath when your day starts when your first child gets up and it doesn't end till the last child is in bed. And even after that, there's probably work to do. And that happens seven days a week. How do you honor the Sabbath when your week is actually an eight-day week? It's four days on, four days off. And I think maybe this is why Paul states that it's not about the day. That the intent of the Sabbath can be a reality on any and I want to say on every day. Some of us may find that Sunday morning truly is a Sabbath day, a day set apart to remember the goodness of God, a day that actually does involve rest from our usual labors, a day to remind ourselves that ultimately God is our provider. 
For others, Sunday may feel like another day of work. And you may come out of church feeling exhausted and say, where was the rest in all of that for me? Probably some of those who are working right now with our children, by the time they get home and have them fed with lunch, will be gasping for a breath and say, what? That was no rest in there at all for me. I believe the intent of this commandment, church, is that we are to carve out Sabbath times in our lives. We need physical rest for our health. We need to set apart time to recall the goodness of our God. To remind ourselves of who God is and who we are in him. To pause to be reminded that the God who created heaven and earth knows you and loves you. He knows me. He loves me. We need time to set aside Sabbath times in our week. It's not about duty. It's not about performing a religious rite. It's a purpose of it is to celebrate the presence of God. I want to say it's a command of God given for our benefit. And I want to simply encourage us this morning as a church, as individuals, to ask the question, how can I carve out Sabbath times in my life? When I truly take a break, and I want to say bask in the presence of God who loves me. It's going to look different for I think different people, it's going to look different in different seasons of our life. It certainly looks different for me now than when we were raising children. But whatever season we're in, we need rest. God knows that. God also knows that we will likely need to refocus. And the day is not the issue. The direction of God is that we pause and take a deep breath and breathe in the goodness of God because he is described in the Bible as the breath of life. I think to ignore Sabbath times in our life, whatever they might look like, is to forfeit the abundant life that is meant to be ours in Christ. And I go back to that passage where Paul says, the reality is Christ himself. I think you can celebrate that without doing anything else. It can be simply quiet. It can be on your deck. It can be wherever. But the purpose is to focus on who we are in Jesus Christ, that our citizenship ultimately is eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this commandment. I thank you, God, for what I believe it speaks into our very hearts and lives. Father, you know all too well the busyness of our lives. And Father, you also know how difficult it may be at times to carve out time simply spent in your presence. Father, as I was thinking about that this week, I think sometimes those times don't have to be filled with anything at all. 
just to quietly remember that you are our God. You know us. You love us. You gave yourself for us. Father, I know that as I go through the week, I do need time to refocus. I do need times to remind myself that ultimately my citizenship is with you in heaven. So, Father, as we go through another week, Father, I thank you that you walk with us. And, Father, I pray that this week during that walk we would find time to truly walk with you. To sense the amazing presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. Help us find that way at those times, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.